Well, if you want to learn to play the piano, you have to go and start at the very beginning at the basics, right? The first lesson is basically, this is a piano, right? <laughs> Here it is. And this is how you hold your hands. You know, it can't be like this, it can't be like this, it has to have a nice curve. You have to start with the finger numbers. One, two, three, four, five. You have to know those. You have to know, you know, what a quarter note is, a half note. I mean, you have to begin at the very beginning, the very basics of piano, or else you really can't build off of that. You really can't go past it. Well, I know this because I was teaching piano once, and um, one of my siblings of a young girl I was teaching, her 18-year-old brother, decided he wanted to try to learn the piano. And I was like, that's great, let's do it. Let's, let's start a trial lesson, a trial month. Let's see how this goes. Well, he told me that he had been kind of, you know, fooling around on the piano. He had taught himself some things by ear. He had figured out octaves. You know, he was having a great time. And I was like, that is awesome. Let's, let's go with that. But if you want to read music, we have to really start at the basics. And I just, I'll never forget. I mean, I opened to page one because he didn't know what the treble clef was. He didn't know how to read notes. He didn't know any interval name. I mean, nothing. And it was so frustrating to him because he kept asking me about over here. Yeah, yeah, but, but when you do a chord, is it, and it's invert, I'm like, okay, I can answer those questions for you, but I really have to go back to the basics. You have to get these first before you can build on this. And needless to say, we didn't have uh, very many lessons, right? We only had a few, and then he just kind of was like, I'm out. I mean, I, don't, I guess I don't really want to put the work in to learning all that you need to know to be able to read music. Well, it is foolish, I think, to jump ahead in any skill. You think about sports or cooking without firmly establishing the basics first. And you know what? This is what John is doing as he's wrapping up his letter. As he's coming to a close, he is taking his listeners readers back to the basics, back to the beginning. And it's important for you and for me to know the basics of our faith as well, to know who Christ is, to know what we believe and why we believe it. Well, today we're gonna look at who Jesus is, what God has said about who Jesus is, and then our response to those magnificent truths. And if you haven't turned there already, you can turn in your Bibles to 1 John 5. We are at the end of 1 John 5. And we're going to start with verse 6 and go all the way through verse 13. 1 John 5, 6 through 13. I'll read it for us. It says this. This is he who came by water and the blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life, but whoever does not have the son of God 
does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Well, John jumps us right back to the basics of our faith about who Jesus is and why we can believe that. And so I want to start there at the very beginning with you and I today. Let's know the truth about Jesus. And that's what our point number one is. You and I, we need to know the truth about Jesus. Looking at verses six through eight, it says this. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. Well, John was writing to clarify something to the readers. The readers were confused about something, and in this section, John is writing to make it clear that Jesus really was God and man. And you can see that there was some confusion because John writes about Jesus, and he says he came by not the water only. Right, so there must have been some teaching out there that was saying that Jesus was only a man and he only came by the water only. You know, he was only baptized just by water. He wasn't, the blood wasn't part of it, the spirit wasn't part of it. Well, John's reassuring these people that Jesus Christ did come as a man, but he was more than that. He was fully God as well. And he provides these three witnesses for us. And you know what? These are a little bit confusing to us, the water and the blood and the spirit when we read that. But the readers would have known exactly what John was talking about. They would have been hearing this being preached, being taught. As soon as he wrote these things, they would have been, oh, that's what he was referring to. So for us, it's a little bit, you know, what's he talking about here? So, and there are a lot of different perspectives and debates over what these terms might mean. But I'm going to go and give you what we think the best description of the water, the blood, and the spirit refers to. The water is the baptism of Jesus, right? The baptism of Jesus. When Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist and he was in the water and guess what? The spirit comes down on him like a dove. There's a voice that comes from heaven saying, this is my son whom I'm well pleased with. And that really begins his earthly ministry, right? He had been on earth for many years, but once he was baptized, that began his earthly ministry, preaching, teaching, gathering disciples, talking about the kingdom of God. And so that baptism of the, the water baptism, that's one of the first witnesses about who Jesus is. The second witness, John says, is the blood, right? Which would refer to Jesus's crucifixion or the shedding of blood on the cross. We can read about that in Luke 23, 44 through 46. Luke 23, 44 through 46, it says this. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. There was darkness curtain was torn in two when Jesus gave of himself on the cross and shed his own blood. 
So that's the second witness that John points to. The third witness is the spirit, the spirit of truth. The spirit was both present at Jesus' baptism. The spirit was present throughout all of Jesus' earthly ministry, life on earth, and the spirit was present at his crucifixion. But also the spirit bears witness about Jesus now. The Spirit still bears witness about who Jesus is. It says that in John 15, 26. John 15, 26 says this. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. He will bear witness about me. John is proving to his readers that Jesus is not only 100% man, a man who walked the earth, but also 100% fully God. And you know what? Throughout church history, this has been debated. Churches have split over this. This is a critical issue. This is a critical theology, piece of doctrine that we need to know about Jesus, our Savior. I think a passage that will help us to understand and really see this proved is in Philippians 2. So turn in Philippians 2, probably a familiar passage to you. Philippians 2, verse 5, and we're going to go through each phrase of this text to see that Jesus was not only 100% man, but also 100% God at the same time. It says this in Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Let's look at verse 6. Do you see that word, form of God, referring to Christ Jesus? He was in the form of God. This word form in the Greek is the word morphe, and that word means inner nature, inner being and essence. Not form like we would say a form, a shape, an external form, but the actual inner nature, inner being of something. And it says that Jesus was in the form of God, the very nature, the inner nature of God. But do you also see down in verse 8? I'm sorry, verse 7. It also says that he took the form of a servant. He took the morphe, the inner nature of a servant as well. And so we see just in that one term, Jesus was in the inner nature. Jesus was the full nature of God and also the full nature of a servant, of a man. We also see that it says in verse 6 that Jesus possessed equality with God. Equality with God. And let me just ask you, what is equal to God? Is anything equal to God? No. No. Isaiah 46.9. Isaiah 46.9 says, I am God. There is no other. I am God and there is none like me. And yet Jesus was equal with God. Jesus was God. Hebrews 1.3 says that Christ is the exact imprint of God. So just by those few verses, just by this text and a few others, we can see that Jesus was the nature of God, the very nature, 100% fully God. 
as we go on in this passage, it says that Jesus didn't count this equality with God a thing to be grasped. And the word grasped means clutched onto. You can think of your toddler, you know, clutching onto their little bear. Oh, grass held tightly to, right? It says that Jesus didn't count equality with God, being God, something that he grasped onto. He didn't clutch onto it. Christ, rather than holding on to all the privileges and benefits of being God, he let go of those. He was able to say, I'm not going to clutch onto those things. I will become a servant, even though I am God. I won't clutch so tightly to my Godness. The next verse says that he emptied himself. He emptied himself, which means that he pours himself out. This doesn't mean that he poured something out of himself. It doesn't say that, that he poured out something, but rather that he poured himself out. He gave of himself by becoming a man. And this really is subtraction by addition. This is the idea of subtraction by addition. And let me prove that to you with a great example that Bruce Ware gives in the book, The Man Christ Jesus. He says this, imagine yourself with your girlfriends and you decide you're gonna go out and test drive a beautiful car. It's shiny, blue, convertible, and it is you know, worth way more than you can afford. It's just glorious. There's not a crumb on the floor, which in my van, there's always a crumb on the floor, right? The second you step in, right? But it's, it's perfect. Everything's gleaming, shining, glorious, right? And so you get in that car and you just, you want to take it out for a test drive. So you do. They let you. How nice. So you're out and you're driving in the sun. You put the top down. Your wit, the hair's blowing, you know, in the wind. And you can just feel it. But you also remember, you know, you're kind of, while you like, you like the top down, you know, you also kind of like to off-road. So, you know, let's see how this baby handles off on a dirt road. So you take it out on a dirt road and you get mud all over it. The reins were just there. There is mud and clods of dirt all over the car, all over the front, all over the side, just caked on there, you know, heavy, thick mud. Well, as you're driving back into the car lot, the salesman sees you and he's like, what have you done to my car? Right? What happened? Well, your reply would be that you haven't actually taken away anything from the car, right? You've actually added to it, right? right? The shine is still there. The beauty is still there. The glory is still there, but it's just concealed. It's just hidden a little bit by the mud covering the car. Taking on the mud has actually added something that results in it appearing less. Taking on the mud has actually added something to the car that results in the glory, the beauty, appearing less. Even though none of it is less, it's just partially concealed, partially hidden. Well, taking on human nature, when Jesus took on human nature, when he added that human nature to his deity, it's the mud added to the car, right? that conceals some of the brilliance of the glory of his godness. It doesn't take it away, it's just hidden. Well, you might say, you know what, I've heard this, but why does this matter? 
Why is this so critical for you to know and for me to know this truth that Jesus is 100% God and also 100% man at the same time? Well, Jesus had to be fully man in order to be our savior. He had to be a man and walk the earth and live a life like we live. He had to have a human body like ours. He had to be tempted to sin like ours, like we do. He had to be our perfect substitute, right? And you think about a substitute teacher when the teacher's gone. You know that a dog couldn't be the, the teacher, couldn't be the substitute. You could, a student couldn't be the substitute, a statue. No, it has to be something that's the same. Someone who's a qualified representative standing in. And when Jesus became a man and took on that human nature, he became a qualified representative, a substitute for us. Hebrews 2.17 says this. Hebrews 2.17, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in every respect. He had to become a man just like us so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus had to be a man to take on the wrath of God on himself by paying the debt that we deserve to pay. He was our substitute as a man, but you know what? He also had to be fully God as well. He had to be fully God as well, and the reason he had to be God is only God could be perfect, right? Only God could fulfill God's standards. God set the standards of perfection, and only God could be tempted to sin and yet never succumb to that sin. Only perfection could cover all of my sins, and God is infinite, right? A finite man going to the cross on behalf of the people well, just one man covering the sins of the world, that wouldn't work. It had to be an infinite God to be able to take on the penalty and to pay for all of our sins. So it had, Jesus had to be fully God in order to pay the debt that we owe. Anything less than Jesus Christ being 100% God and 100% man, and he wouldn't be qualified to be our savior. We are saved because of Christ alone. He is the sole provision for our sins. Well, Jesus came to earth as fully God and fully man, which is attested by these three witnesses. And we must cling to this truth, but we have to move past just knowing the facts. It's so important for us to know the truth about Jesus, but we have to move past just the knowledge of this. And that's where we're going to go for point number two, which is where John takes us as well in his passage. Point number two says, believe, believe what God says about Jesus. You and I, we not only need to know the truth about Jesus, but we need to believe what God says about Jesus. In our text in verse 9, 1 John 5, 9, it says this. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. 
Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. God himself has borne witness about who Jesus is. But the question we face today is, are you going to believe it? Are you personally going to believe this truth about Jesus? Starting at the bottom of this little section in verse 10, John provides that black and white comparison that I just love about him, you know, light, darkness, right? He says, you either are with God, you either agree with him, or you call him a liar. Those are the two options, right? The people that reject who Jesus is, the people that do not believe that he is the son of God, John says that you call God a liar. At this point, you say, I know better than you, God. I've got it figured out. But he also says the person who believes accepts God's testimony and also internalizes it, right? The person that believes means that the spirit of God enters their life, the very presence of God. They enjoy the benefit of a transformed heart. 1 John 5.10, what we just read said, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony within himself. The Holy Spirit moves into your life when you believe. You also now have a testimony, have a proof, show you are a witness to this truth as well. Well, what is this belief then? How do we get to that point? Well, this Salvation in Christ alone is a work of God done in our lives. This happens when we commit to fully trusting in Christ and turning from our sin, but it is God who does the work. Jesus on the cross, the one doing the work, but also God in declaring us not guilty. I love that. God looks at our lives and says, you are not guilty for your sin anymore. At that moment of your salvation, God declares it. And not only that, not only are you not guilty for your sin, but you are also credited, you are also given Christ's righteousness, his perfection. So when God looks at you, he sees that you're not guilty because of Christ standing in your place, his righteousness, his perfection. And this happens and has nothing to do with our behavior. Not a single thing with our good deeds or whether we grew up in the church or whether we know Christian songs or like what the Bible says and think it's cool or know stories. It has nothing to do with the things that we have done. This is God doing this work in us. We are forgiven and we are made right in Jesus alone. And that happens at one point in our life on a day, that initial moment of salvation but that also begins a lifetime of becoming more and more like Jesus, right? This also begins right from that moment of salvation, a process of growing to be more and more like Jesus, more holy, right? Denying sin and turning and living to be more like Christ. And during that process, do you think we have to turn again to Jesus? Yes, again and again. Do we have to come back to him and ask for forgiveness for our sins? Yes, 
again and again, even though we've had that moment, that day of salvation, that starts a process of becoming more like him, which means we're constantly turning to him and saying, God, help me. Help me in this area. I trust you. I trust your word. Forgive me of this sin. And you know what? We have to be careful that we don't confuse the two. Because there is that initial day of salvation when God declares us not guilty and credits us Christ's righteousness. But it also begins a process of becoming more and more like Christ. And we have to see that there is a difference there and not get confused between the two because there's still gonna be struggles with sin once we're saved. There's still gonna be difficult times and temptations. We are still called to turn our lives over to Christ daily. Well, God was so kind in giving me an example for you all when my daughter turned to me in the car and said to me, Mom, do you think I've done enough good to be a Christian? Like, you know, I put the brakes on, everyone slams forward. No, they didn't do that. You know, I took a deep breath. You know, she's a PK, right? So I'm like, um, girl, you know, okay. When have I ever said that you need to do enough good to be a Christian? That's what my brain is just searching, searching for. And so we, of course, we begin this discussion. That's a great question, Alyssa. Um, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to earn your salvation. You can never stack up enough good to be right with God. And she's like, yeah, I know Jesus did that. I'm like, okay. So Yes, Jesus is, so I'm like, okay, good. So now we're, we're not talking, then I realize, about that moment of salvation. She said, I know that Jesus, and it's I believe and repent, but do you see in my life good, good works? And I, oh, I see what she's referring to. The way she worded the question, you know, threw me off, but she's not talking about that initial time of salvation, she realizes that it's Jesus alone and nothing she can do to earn her salvation. But she wanted to know if I saw that process of becoming more and more like Christ, if I saw that in her life. You know, and so we had this great discussion about what it means once you're a Christian, what that will look like as you turn over to Christ, as you read his word, as you submit to his word, as you confess your sins. And it was a great discussion, but... I could see even in the question, maybe there was some confusion. And we must recognize, you and I, we must recognize that the date of our first believing in the Son of God happens one time and then begins a process, a lifetime of growth to be more like Jesus. Yet I know there are so many different voices out there that are pushing us to believe anything else, right? There are external voices out in the world shouting at us right now, are they not? And there are internal voices as well that tempt us to not believe this truth and many other truths. Those external voices are the media. Every time you open the news, it seems like. Any songs, any shows, those external voices are pressing in on us, telling us that we cannot trust God's word. There is not one right way. You know, your truth is good for you, but I have my truth. Here's a truth, there's a truth, everywhere a truth, truth. You know that one, right? I mean, that's kind of what they're saying. You pick your truth, I'll pick mine. Okay, you're fine, but just don't tell me about your truth because I've got my truth. No. The world also talks so much about self-love. 
you know, just give yourself a hug and take care of you. Nobody's going to take care of you. Nobody's looking out for you. You've got to look out for you, right? You got some me time. You know, you got you to tell yourself you love yourself. And I mean, there's, that message is coming across. You take care of you. You make sure you're taken care of. And the world is so confused about gender, are they not? I mean, I don't want to get too deep into this, but male, female, it's all mixed up. It's all mixed up. And those voices are pushing loud at us. So we must turn to truth, God's truth. We can know truth. That first claim, how there's no truth, we can know truth. John 17, 17 says, your word is truth. Your word is truth. That's where I turn to know what truth is. That's where I go. The Bible says to look out for yourself. I'm sorry, that's not true. The world says to look out for yourself. But yet the Bible says, love God and love others. Those are the first two greatest commands. Love God and love others. And hasn't John been teaching us all about loving others? The world is confused about gender. Well, God sets it right at the very beginning in Genesis 2. God created them male and female. There are two choices, and God chooses that. And so no matter what external voices are tempting you to mistrust what God has put in his book, God's testimony about himself in this world, we need to turn to scripture for that. But you know what? There's also some internal voices that really tempt us. If you're like me, I've got a lot of emotions. God made me in such a way where I have great highs and lows, and I'm like a roller coaster. You know, poor Mark. Um, he has to deal with it sometimes, you know. Pregnancy and babies, woo, you know, that really sets things right. You, you guys know. Well, these internal voices, they are not trustworthy all the time, are they not? Our feelings, our emotions, they can lead us astray as well. I'll never forget the words that I said aloud three weeks into the pandemic. I said, I really feel, I really feel like this pandemic will be over in like three weeks. It's all, it's all going to be back to normal. <laughs> My husband points that out every once in a while. Remember when you really felt that, Bethany? Were you, what were you feeling there? It, but it just proves, you know, I wasn't going off of any facts. I wasn't going off of any articles I had read at the time. I just, I just really felt like that. It's got to be done soon. How often do our feelings lead us in one direction or tell us a truth, send us in one place that we think, you know, this doesn't line up with God's word. Our feelings can lead us astray. They can lie to us. They are not always right. They are not always pushing us to do the things that God has called us to do. So we need to make sure that we listen to God's voice in his word rather than these external voices or these internal voices that are leading us potentially down a different path. Well, not only can we know about Jesus and who he is and know what it means to believe in him, but John also tells us that we can know for certain of our standing before him, that we can have assurance in our standing before God. And that's where he takes us in the next part of our section. And let's write this down for point number three as we dive into the last section. Let's be confident 
of our relationship with Jesus. You and I, we need to be confident of our relationship with Jesus. Confidence, assurance, knowing for certain, without a doubt. Back in 1 John 5, verse 11, it says this. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may know. God has given us a testimony in his word, but let me ask you, do you have one? Do you have a testimony? Are you confident of your standing with God? When did you truly believe? Because when we believe, we need to have two parts for this belief. We need to have the right truth and the right response. We need to have both. We need to have the right truth, the gospel message. All we've been talking about in this point one, point two, about who Jesus is and how we're made right with God. We need to know that truth, that no matter what good we do, we could never, never gain our salvation. We could never do it on our own. We could never stack up to God's perfect standard. Only through Jesus can we be saved. We have to have that right truth. That's one piece, but you know what? There's a second piece of that. We also have to have the right response. The right response that says, God, I'm going to turn from my sin, from doing life my way, and submit fully to you, to doing life your way. I'm going to believe and repent. Acts 20, 21. Acts 20, 21 says it like this. Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need that right response to the truth. And you know, I had the right truth growing up in a Christian home and going to a small little church for many years. I would have told you the gospel at 8 and 10 and 12. I went on missions trip with this right truth, this understanding of the, the gospel message. But it wasn't until later when I had the right response. I, was, I knew the facts. I knew the information. I even agreed with those facts. But I didn't have the right response. I didn't, I didn't turn my life over to God. I still wanted to live for myself, for my sin. I wanted to do things my way. I never had that right response till later. When I turned to God and I said, I, I'm done. I, I'm doing it your way, not my way. I turn it all over to you, God. Help me. It's you and it's not me. I had to have that right response to the right truth that I already knew. For a lot of you, your date of salvation, that day when you got saved, that testimony, may be later than you think it is. Maybe you said a prayer like I did at four, or maybe there was something else that happened, but let's just be honest and see what is the point that we said, God, I'm all in. It doesn't matter if that was an hour ago before you got here, or 10 days ago, or 10 years, or Whenever it was, it matters that it happened. 
It happened in your life. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 says this. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him, speaking of Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, there's that right truth, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, that right response. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Once you are saved, you can have a guarantee, a total confidence in your salvation. This passage says that God even gives us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. And that word guarantee means a promise, a pledge. You are sealed. It is a sure thing, something that you can take to the bank, you can rely on. You're now rewired to live for the Lord once you're saved. You've been given the desire to live according to his word, to follow his commands, and to become more like his son, Jesus. And maybe if you don't see that inner desire, that inward pull to be more like Christ, maybe you do have the right, the right kind of thinking here to question your salvation, to question that initial date. If you don't see that inner testimony within yourself, that spirit pulling you to be like Jesus, but if you do know and have that confidence, that trust in Christ, you, you know that date when you got saved, you can have full and total security and confidence. John uses the word know 39 times in this book. He intends for us to know, to be certain, to have confidence and assurance. And there is so much that we cannot have confidence about right now in this world, right? I don't even know what's gonna happen today. I've got a plan, but I don't know. What's gonna happen with this pandemic, with people who've lost their jobs, with sick loved ones? I mean, there are so much that we cannot know. But the one thing we can know, we can know for certain is that we have a standing before God where we are saved. We can have eternal life that's given to us. It's promised to us. Just see that verse, 1 John 5, 13 says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of, son, of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. We're intended to know. Well, what is this term eternal life? What does it entail? It entails a lot, but let me just give you a few verses quickly about this eternal life John's referring to. In John 4, 14, eternal life is where your spiritual hunger and thirst is satisfied, fully satisfied, John 4, 14. In John 6, 40, it says that this eternal life means it will be raised up on the last day and live forever, John 6, 40. John 8, 12 says that we're going to have, we have the light of life, so that we no longer have to walk in darkness. We're no longer walking in darkness in this world. We have the light of life, as John has talked about already in this letter. John 10.10, John 10.10 says that eternal life is to have abundant life, full life, now and forever, both now and forever. John 17.3 
says that eternal life is to have a relationship with the only true God through Jesus. Eternal life is that relationship that we have. And eternal life in John eleven twenty five. eternal life is to live even when we die. To live even when we die. That eternal life with God in heaven. That is what we are promised. That is what we are sure of when we see that testimony within ourselves, when we have that right truth and that right response. And if you're a Christian in this room, I hope you leave today singing the words that have been playing through my mind. Blessed assurance. Do you know this song? Blessed assurance. Assurance. A guarantee. A promise. A pledge. Assurance. To know that Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Looking ahead at heaven, we just have a foretaste of it. We can see that it's there. It's coming. I'm an heir of salvation purchased by God, born of his spirit and washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. You can be confident of your relationship with Jesus, and this should send us out praising him, joyful, hope filled even in a world right now that may not have a lot of hope may not have a lot of certainty we are not meant to be tossed to and fro and wondering if we're saved or not wondering if we're in wondering if he's gonna you know i hope he's gonna let us in that is not what we are intended we are intended to know because of our relationship with jesus christ that we have a right standing, a relationship with the God of this universe where we will inherit eternal life with him. And if you could know one thing in your life, if you could only know one thing, this is the one thing to know. This is the most important to have complete assurance of where you stand with your creator. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this passage. I thank you for John's writing, which is so clear, so black and white. God, I thank you for this text that gives us so much about who your son Jesus is, that he was 100% God and 100% man. God, I pray today in these small groups as they go and discuss, God, I pray that they would share their testimonies, that they would go around and say, this is the time. This was my initial date of salvation when I had the right truth and I had the right response. God, I pray that we would be encouraged as we hear those, those truths proclaimed by people in this room, that we would be worshiping you, that we would be excited because of our salvation. And God, if there is someone in here who does not have that assurance, does not have that date where they turn their life over to you fully submitting God, I pray that they would not wait any longer, that today is the day of salvation. God, we thank you for all the benefits and blessings of eternal life and what a joy it is to know what will happen to us in the future and what you've given us now. We thank you and we praise you, God, for your son, Jesus, whom you sent to earth to die the death that we deserved and to take the penalty of sin upon himself. 
We pray this in your son's name. Amen.